Some would, under normal circumstances, renovate, improve, change their buildings, but that's very expensive and a little bit uncertain at the moment also. So that's creating less good stock on the market. So it's the supply and demand of good stock that's held up property values. I have calculated our average annual increase of rental prices has only been 3%. I believe Perth is going to be one of the two strong property markets in 2024. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate the highly rated and award-winning property management, sales and buyers agency servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here's your host, Jared Mann. So today I'm really excited to have Michael Yardney back on the show and I really want his perspective on what's been happening across the whole of Australia and what he sees for the 2024 year ahead. We've had so much happen this year, haven't we, Michael? Yes, we have. Thanks for having me back. And it has been an interesting year in property, Jared. So give us a bit of an overview because there's a lot of different things going on at the various states and capitals at the moment. And we've almost got a two-speed sort of markets happening around the country and and it, people can often read top-level news headlines that the, you know, realestate.com send out or domain and, and you know, think that everywhere is the same. So, give us your take on things at the moment. Well, let's put some perspective to it. This time last year, at the end of 2022, the Reserve Bank said uh, that we're going to have a, a downer in property in 2023. All the banks suggested property values would drop somewhere between 10 and 15%. Uh, a number of well-respected commentators even suggested a 25 30% drop in property values because of rising interest rates and affordability issues. A lot of these big picture predictions are about the Australian property market. And it isn't an Australian property market. As you said, there are multiple markets. Each state is at its own stage in the cycle. And within each state, there are multiple markets, depending upon price brackets, depending upon the type of property, depending upon geography, regional Australia and uh, capital cities. So each state has done differently. But the bottom line, really, other than for Hobart and Darwin, is that our markets have been very resilient. We've had 13 interest rate rises. Yes, there was a bit of a gap in the middle uh, of the year when the Reserve Bank didn't raise interest rates. But some markets have performed better than others. It depends whose reports you look at. But overall, the Perth property market has rebounded very strongly and will definitely have double-digit growth over the year. But again, there's not one Perth property market. Brisbane, Sydney have done well. Adelaide's done reasonably and interestingly, the Melbourne market, which in theory has, should have similar sort of drivers, such as strong population growth from immigration, the same tax system, the same interest rates, a strong economy, good jobs. Melbourne has only had four or five, will only end up with a year with four or five percent growth in, in property values. So each market has effect, been affected differently. What hasn't happened, Jared? is that concern about the fixed rate cliff. Remember, throughout the beginning of the year, many commentators were concerned that with the Reserve Bank raising interest rates, those people who bought a couple of years ago 
at historically low interest rates, almost more time rates, and bought at the top of the market in 2021, because then interest rates made the market go down in 2022, would come off their fixed rates and get into mortgage stress, into mortgage strife, and we'd have lots of distressed sales. And according to the banks and according to APRA, really there are very few mortgage holders who are not keeping up with their mortgage. Now, there's no doubt that rising interest rates have created either higher mortgages for people, higher rents, higher cost of living, higher petrol prices. But we've come into this period with a bit of extra stashed cash and uh, people would rather eat Maggi noodles than sell their homes. So most home buyers have gotten through it. So overall, we've had a rapid recovery, resilient markets. And on the other side, and we can talk about it in a sec, a rental crisis, the likes of which I haven't seen in all my years in property, Jared. Yeah, most definitely. And I do remember and remember seeing in especially the Perth market where I've got my visibility on that when interest rates started going up initially, there was that sort of shock factor where everyone's like, you know, oh, like, can we afford this? And, you know, people are worried that interest rates are going to go back to crazy high levels. And it took a little while to sort of renormalize and you know we had all the family um home costs going up with inflation and and sort of well you think everything increasing everywhere so there was a bit of that shock factor but now i've noticed that it's sort of become the new norm and and people have budgeted in that those extra interest costs and and it's not really a factor that i'm seeing that are sure it's certainly prevented some people buying at the price points that they wanted to, they've had to, you know, revisit what they can afford and and downgrade some of their expectations. And so it's definitely impacted people, but I think it's normalised to a new norm now. It has. So people have got used to it. Remember, there's a whole generation who've never experienced rising interest rates. For the last 11 years, interest rates kept falling and falling and then specifically around covid and it was the right thing for the government to do. It stopped us having the, the the depression, the downturn, the economic challenges that a pandemic that locked us up could have caused. And there was lots of stimulus as well with various grants. And that's created when you manufacture money and put it into the system, that's created inflation. So now the Reserve Bank is juggling trying to lower inflation but not slow us down that much to end up in a recession. And it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Uh, But the big question is, is this the end of interest rate rises or not? And the new governor of the Reserve Bank has, well, they've only got two things to play with, really, either interest rates or, I guess, talking in the media and scaring us, uh, we're getting consumer confidence down, lowering consumer sentiment. But despite consumer sentiment and all the measures uh, that, that come out, the ANZ Bank and Roy Morgan's um, and Westpac Bank's consumer sentiment in general being the lowest it's been for decades, what has underpinned our housing markets is the supply and demand ratio, Jared. So this year, we've not been building enough accommodation, and yet, depending upon whose figures you look at, close to 600,000 people have come to Australia. Now, a lot of those were temporary visas and students. And and so when you look at net migration, there weren't people leaving the country like normally happens because we didn't have the students come in over a year or two during the COVID lockdowns. 
And so the the net figure had more pluses and very few minuses. And so the apartment markets have performed strongly. Rents have gone up. And while a lot of these migrants rent initially before they buy, what has happened, though, is that they've still got to buy things. They've got to buy furniture. They've got to buy appliances. And more of us have got to buy food. And so that's been pushing our economy stronger than the Reserve Bank would like. So we are still spending strongly. We're still creating jobs. Unemployment is low. So the Reserve Bank was hoping we wouldn't be as exuberant and spend as much. But there's more of us. And, and the rising interest rates doesn't affect everybody, especially a lot of these people coming in with money or in particular, the baby boomers who got a home, haven't got a mortgage, lost a couple of years during COVID, and they're saying, no, I'm still going to spend up big. I'm still going to take my holidays. I'm still going to go out and eat. Yep. And we've, of course, got the renters as well coming back to them that directly, I guess, impacted when interest rates go up. But, you know, supply and demand has to still have its course and it's pushing rental prices up pretty much all around the country. And there's... I'm familiar with the the Perth and WA stats. We've we've had a lot of investors selling up, and and over the course of the year, we're actually down on the net level of purchases for less investors have been buying than there has been more selling. So that is taken away over the last two three years quite a number of properties from our rental pool. And when you couple that with the migration being the strongest levels that we've seen, you know in decades where's the end in sight i mean where where is the relief the tenants going to come from well they never other factors so yes fewer investors and they're selling up not just in perth but around australia and also how we want to live has changed more of us are working from home part-time so you're needing another room more of us were not sharing as much uh, even though that's coming back as well uh, and, and so therefore more and it's harder to save a deposit for tenants because you need a bigger deposit and your rents have gone up and your petrol costs have gone up. So more Australians are remaining tenants. But who's providing the accommodation for them? In Australia, 90, 91%, 92% of all the rental accommodation is provided by well, we call them mums and dads, but ordinary Australians, and most of them only own one property. We know that ninety-two uh, percent of all the investors only own one or two properties, so they're not ugly, greedy landlords. And I know your landlords in Perth are not ugly, and they're definitely not greedy. Um, but they're looking to secure some financial uh, security for themselves. But when the government interferes and creates problems and creates uncertainty, some are saying, "Hey, this is just getting too hard. I, I've got other options. I'm, I'm, I'm going to." get out. So some investors are getting out. Who's replacing them? Well, there are definitely new investors. And uh, I know you help investors in Perth with your buyers agency and we do it in the other states. But the government was saying, you know, we've got to build more and we're going to build 1.2 million. They started with one and now 1.2 million dwellings to rent. The government's not going to build any of those. They're looking at ways of encouraging builders and developers to do that. But at the moment, Builders, as we keep reading, are going broke. They're having trouble. They'd rather do some of the infrastructure and other projects rather than residential, which don't stack up. And with the rising cost of building, with the rising cost of construction, with more compliance nowadays, new developments and all these new medium and high-rise developments that the government 
wants to get built are going to have to sell considerably higher prices, 25 to even 40% more than current values, to make them financially viable to get them out of the ground. Jared, last cycle, it was a lot of Asian overseas investors who bought these. A lot of Australians now realise off-the-plan investments, these new apartment towers in towns, just aren't good long-term investments. Uh, but but there's now a dissuasion of, of overseas investors. We've pulled out the welcome rug from them. So we're not getting many investors providing new accommodation. So what's happening? Well, there's this build-to-rent segment, which works well overseas, and the government is giving incentives to corporations to build large complexes that are going to be rented over the long term. But the incentives are the sort that you and I as investors would like. They're giving away your and my money in land tax and extra depreciation for these corporations. Give them to young investors like you and me and our clients, and they'd love to get in the property market and provide accommodation. Rubeck just completed a, a large complex in Melbourne near Queen Victoria Market, and they proudly announced that the rents they're getting for this build-to-rent complex is 25% more than the going rents in that area. Why? Because they're providing all sorts of great services and accommodation, the pools and the gyms and workspaces, etc. So this is not, the build-to-rent is not going to change the needle much because they're not building that many, they're not in the pipeline, but they're not providing affordable accommodation. So we're seeing around Australia a rental crisis, the sort of which I've never seen in my 50 years of property, and I don't like it. Sure, I like getting higher rents, but it's not right that Australians are having difficulty finding a home, Jared. No, and you only have to see day-to-day, if you chat to your property managers, you know, the pain that they're seeing among tenants when they can't find a place and they've been looking, you know, hard out for weeks and throwing multiple applications in on properties and we're talking you know a quality tenant that's always paid their rent that would have a good rental reference and they just can't find somewhere to move to so the other factor that i'm finding the the tight tenancy market has is that it's preventing owners that want to sell being able to go into a rental property in the meantime until they find a new place and because the sale market's so tight here, and, and maybe you can speak to the other capitals that you have view over, they can't make offers on the future places that they'd want to buy as a home and because they, they can't be subject to sale because they're up against multiple other offers. So they can't rent, they can't make subject to sale offers, so many of them are just staying put at the moment, and that's keeping the supply even tighter. Well, most sellers are buyers, as you say, but at the moment they're not sure that they can buy something, so they're very nervous about it. And on that basis, they're staying put. Some would, under normal circumstances, renovate, improve, change their, their buildings, but that's very expensive and a little bit uncertain at the moment also. So that's creating less good stock on the market. So it's the supply and demand of good stock that's held up property values. Um, just finishing on rentals, though, if we look at rents, and it depends whose figures you look at, SQM research that from Louis Christopher, and I know you and I both like uh, his reports, suggested that in Perth rents have gone up 18.7% in the 12 months to November 2023. That's huge double-digit growth. And the media is again talking about landlords taking advantage of tenants, but if you think about it, and you know it as an investor, 
there were many years when rents didn't go up at all. And in fact, during COVID in Melbourne and Sydney, we had to drop rents to, to accommodate people who were not getting jobs. I'm not sure if it worked that way in Perth. So if you look over the last decade, rents have not kept up with inflation. So this is now the reversion to me. Sorry to overtalk you. That's fine. I, I was jumping in there. Um, I was just so excited because we're, we're both on the same thinking train here. <laughs> so um, I calculated our average annual increase of rental prices has only been 3% over the decade. So, you know, that's barely kept up with, well, certainly hasn't kept up with inflation when we consider the inflation levels we've had over the last two to three years. Well, the good news for, I know a lot of your listeners, even though they're national, have got an interest in the Perth property market. I believe Perth is going to be one of the two strong property markets in 2024, Perth and Brisbane. And also, I'm talking about property values, and I don't think it'll be anywhere near as strong as 2023, based on the fact that interest rates are going to up again and they're going to start hurting people a little bit and the government wants to i'm sorry the reserve bank wants to raise unemployment and create more uncertainty but all that's going to do for the rental markets and for property investors is again create a period a period where there's not enough accommodation so i'm sure that rentals in perth are going to increase by double digit rates almost certainly not as much as, as in the last 12 months um, but there's no end in sight to this rental crisis. Could you start building all those towers today or go to the outer suburbs and build all the homes? It'll take a year or two before that happens. It will do. Around Australia, Brisbane will also have very strong property rental growth in 2024. And by the way, apartments in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane have grown in rental values and price values strongly as well. As more people have had to choose to live in an apartment rather than a house or townhouse accommodation is very popular because it's modern accommodation on a compact block. Sydney, Brisbane will probably have high single digit to maybe even low double digit rental growth. Melbourne, a little bit more, a bit less, I should say. Hobart and Canberra have underperformed over the last year or two. And the darling of investors, Hobart, is going to, well, they were, it was darling a couple of years ago, I think it's going to underperform again next year. So I see strong rental growth and more moderate property growth next year, with Melbourne and Sydney not performing anywhere near as strongly as they did this year, but Brisbane and Perth. I, th I think as China's economy picks up, we know Perth is more than just a mining town, but it economy is dependent a bit upon, well, more than a bit, on, on the mining industry, as is Brisbane's to a degree. I think their local economies, and that's one of the things that drives local property values. In other words, jobs creation, higher wages, more people coming for the jobs, more people earning more income. Uh, so I, I think Perth and Brisbane will be the standout markets in 2024. That makes a lot of sense, Michael. And I guess when and if the homes and construction of these uh, medium density and high density does get going, that's going to continue to provide jobs as well and sort of keep the economy stable, you would think, if not growing. On the other hand, I don't see the regional areas performing as strongly as the capital cities. So regional markets performed very strongly during 2021, 2020, 2021, during that 
amazing boom we had. And it was partly people moving to the regions because of COVID, but it was actually more people not leaving the regions. Why would you in Melbourne go from Ballarat or, or Bendigo to Melbourne? Uh, well, yeah, we're going from a nice regional town where you could walk around and go to the shops and get locked down. So it was some people moving in, but in fact, less people moving out. But now the trend has changed and rents are not growing as much in regional areas, nor are property values. But I recently read a number of long-term reports from demographers and I dot ID or informed decisions, they like to be called demographers, have who supply a lot of information to the local councils to make their plans and state governments um, have forecast that in the next 20 years we're going to have 7.2 million more people coming to Australia. What they're suggesting is that 64% of those are going to go to Western Australia, Victoria, Queensland and New South Wales, but the majority of those people are going to go to urban areas, to capital cities, not regional areas. So this continuing strong population growth, and the government knows there are issues with it, but it has to keep replacing the baby boomers who are moving out of the uh, job market because otherwise somebody, well, somebody's got to pay the taxes and somebody's got to pay the money to keep the government going, uh, pay for the health care and the Medicare and the uh, pensions of the older people. So the business plan for Australia is to bring all these people in. The majority are going to go to the four big capital cities, not just the four big states, but the capital cities of those states. And people say, well, how's Australia going to keep affording this? How can we keep pushing up property values? Australia's got an economy that's built on three things, Jared. Uh, we dig things out of the ground and sell them overseas, um, you know, minerals in particular. We grow things in the ground and sell them overseas as well, and we'll be the food bowl of all these new big cities in Asia. And we sell our education as well. I mean, we do lots of other things, but we've become a knowledge-based society, and we've got lots of clients all these new developing areas, maybe not as much China, but all these big cities in Southeast Asia, in India in particular, who are going to want our goods and services. So if you believe Australia's population is going to grow strongly and we are going to remain wealthy as a nation, that's going to underpin our property values in the long term. And sure, we're going to have ups and downs and another recession and another downturn and high interest rates and low interest rates. You've got to ride through those and take a long-term view to end up owning the sort of assets that are going to be in continuous strong demand in 10 and 20 years, not what's hotspot this month. Well, that does make it confusing when you see rents shooting up crazy on apartments and people think, oh, that would be you know, a good investment there and there's lots of demand from the migrants, so maybe we should look at an apartment. And I do hear it at least a few times each week. And so what are some of the key factors, I guess, that potential property investors should consider when evaluating an investment opportunity in the year ahead. That's a really good thing. Well, I shouldn't don't think they should think about it in the year ahead. Sorry, they should think about buying, but they should have a long-term view. So to me, short-term investing is maybe a decade or so. Medium-term is 10 to 20 years. And I think as an investor, you've got to think 40 years, 30, 40 years out, or at least over 20 years. Because most people who are investing today are wanting financial freedom, independence, choices in life when they retire or slow down, not everyone wants to retire, and that's often 10, 20 years away. 
So your tenant's ability to pay more rent in the future is going to determine the sort of lifestyle you have in those days. So I don't want the sort of tenants who are going to be a week away from broke. And a lot of our clients, and I know yours, Jared, similarly, actually want to leave a legacy for your, their kids. So it's not just the sort of property that's going to be popular this year or next year, but you want you don't want to buy a 100-year-old property, even though the heritage properties look really nice now, that you're going to leave something to your kids in 30, 40 years when you move on, um, that it's not going to be popular anymore. So I think one of the big trends you should look for really is demographics. The income of the people living in the locations, so we like investing in areas where the wages are higher than average, but we like gentrifying areas. We like areas where it's not just the people locally, but people moving in because of the people moving into those suburbs, Jared, who've got more money, who push up the value. And so one of the things people should be looking at is local demographics. And I know your team do a lot of homework on that as well. Everyone talks about auction clearance rates, not as much in Perth because they're not as big an auction area there, or medium prices. But median prices are a very poor indicator of where to buy. While the median house price is probably the most cited property market statistic, there's lots of shortcomings. Change in median prices has more to do with what sold recently. But in my suburb, I live in a beautiful Bayside suburb in Melbourne, and I'm on this side of St Kilda Street, and the beach is just there. Houses on this side, have got a totally different median price to the house on that side of St Kilda Street, which are still lovely, expensive homes, but not the amenity of the water and the uh, the, uh, the reserve at the end of my street. Same postcode. Go down a little bit further in 3186 in Brighton, and you've got a whole lot of small, old, historic homes, single-fronted homes, or even double-fronted homes, but on smaller blocks. And then there's apartments in the same suburb. So median prices in a suburb like that where there's such a disparity are not really meaningful. They're more meaningful in suburbs where there's more hom homogenous, similar houses like the new estates. Uh, not that I'm suggesting you invest in there. So rather than looking at what the median price in Perth has done, which is often related in the, in the media, even what the median price in a particular suburb has done, you've got to dig down and have a look because and see what's happening because uh, otherwise it can be very misleading. But moving forward to answer a long-winded answer to your question, what should people be looking for? The demographics in the area. Makes a lot of sense and certainly comes back to the fundamentals and not getting caught up in the short-term shiny objects or the short-term trends that aren't going to continue over the longer term. Now you mentioned apartments, if I could interrupt for a second. Yeah. If you can afford a house, I believe moving forward houses will perform better than apartments. Up to a decade ago in the eastern states, apartments grew as well as houses, not at the same, uh, uh, they were different price brackets, I believe moving forward, more and more of us are going to live in medium density accommodation. I believe townhouses are going to become more desirable for a larger population. In other words, a smaller block of land and large accommodation. Location is still going to do much of the heavy lifting. But if you can't afford an a house, then a family-friendly apartment, a small block of apartments, not walk-up, uh, so walk-up type apartment, not one where there's multiple. Uh, levels and lifts and gyms and pools but apartments at the moment you're right are getting good rental 
growth and good yields, but one has to actually look past that and if you can buy the land, the land component's the bit that goes up. Now, the land component under a block of the old apartments built 10, 20 years or 20, 30 years ago, that, that's going to go up. I'd rather own a tenth of a block of land of an apartment overlooking Bondi Beach than one two hundredth of a, a block of land in the middle of the Sydney CBD. So uh, definitely, and I own a lot of apartments personally, uh, but I know in the last decade they haven't gone as well, but grown as well. But I also know moving forward, the rents are going up and the end values are going up because replacement cost is just skyrocketing. Well, I guess if you have that larger land component and some uniqueness and the location there that's still adding the appeal, then it could be worth considering, especially as investors and homeowners become priced out from houses. I mean, we've seen the change here in Perth now and and it's getting very difficult to buy any kind of house below 500000 and I know that must seem like a low price still relative to you. A double garage in Melbourne? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, you know, when you've only got that much to spend. Sure. But who wouldn't like to own an apartment in London or New York or Paris or Vienna? Sure. So, yeah, the, that changing uh, trend, I think, is going to be worth keeping an eye on and considering if you, you are on the lower end of that sort of budget. So what are the potential risks and, I guess, challenges that property investors may face in the Australian market and how do we navigate these effectively? Well, as you started off saying initially correctly, the markets are fragmented and some areas are going to outperform others. So you can't just go off and buy any property and think it's going to be a good investment. Even in the Perth market that's doing really well at the moment, some areas are outperforming others. So be careful, do your homework, have a long-term focus. So the other challenge, I think, is listening to the wrong people, buying the wrong property. At the moment, with the market in Perth doing really well and around Australia, there's a whole group of new so-called gurus. Everybody's got an opinion on real estate. That doesn't mean you should pay attention to them. You can't expect first-class results from secondary assets. And you've got to understand the markets will be cyclical. And you've also, I think, the big risk is property investment is a game of finance with some houses and dwellings thrown in the middle. So get a good finance strategy because it looks like interest rates will remain higher a little bit longer than we'd like. They are going to come down. But when they come down, they're going to come down to the neutral level. In other words, at the moment, they're, they're slowing down. They're, they're, they're trying to, the rising interest rates is trying to slow our economy and our markets. Earlier on, two years ago, they were doing the opposite. They were stimulating the economy to try and encourage us to, to spend uh, so we wouldn't have a recession after COVID. Um, in the meantime, the Reserve Bank's going to find that rate in the middle somewhere, which is probably going to be somewhere around 3.5% or so. So interest rates may drop three quarters of a percent a percent, not, not back to where we were a couple of years ago. And I guess the last thing to answer your question, what are the risks? Thinking short-term, looking for the next hot spot, looking for the next shiny toy rather than having a long-term focus, Jared. Makes a lot of sense. Now, I wanted to finish things off by chatting to you about your book, How to Grow a Multi-Million Dollar Property Portfolio in Your Spare Time, one of my classics that I come back and reread often. And I was actually rereading it the other day and I noticed that you have a whole chapter on the concept of living life of a property millionaire. And 
this is sort of I wanted to finish this episode talking about this end game and you know because often we can get trapped in the shorter term noise and you know or distracted or we have an issue on a on one of our properties and we can think about selling and and you lose sight of that end game if you will that we're headed to and that's why it is important of course you help people with having a strategic plan and and we try to help people create a plan as well so that you're you, you know you can put the blinders on to that day to day and and all these distractions but tell us what this end game looks like and and how do we actually do that and what should we be aiming for okay well that book had its 16th anniversary edition out last year how to grow a multi-million dollar property portfolio and while many of the fundamentals have remained the same i've fine-tuned my strategies over the last decades and the biggest, biggest change has really come in finance and how you can live off the end game because it was much easier to do once you had a big portfolio in the past where you could virtually just keep refinancing and living off your equity. And I've had to change that chapter significantly. So I guess what one has to do is look out 10, 15 years, 20 years when you want to retire and see what it could look like. And the one thing that is certain is that there's going to be a whole lot of unknowns come in that you don't know about. So while we like to help our clients with Metropole Plan, we also teach them to plan for their plan not to go to plan. I don't know whether you're going to be able to negatively gear in the future. I don't know if the government's going to allow you to live off a pension or have a superannuation. No, use your superannuation. They're making it maybe that you can't get it till later in life. I don't know whether we're going to have a recession, how much the banks are going to lend you. So what you need is flexibility in the future but I believe if you have a big asset base you can then have more flexibility so your your aim really between now and then whenever then is for our listeners is to build an asset base I know people want cash flow cash flow keeps you in the game and you need that but you need an asset base to get you out of the rat race so the end game should look something like this you should own your own home with no debt against it. I don't like the idea of having non-tax deductible debt when you stop working. You require, a, I believe you should have a property investment portfolio with a level of debt. You don't have to pay it off entirely, but it should at least be washing its own face. It should at least be covering the interest bills. In the old days, you could keep refinancing that. That's really hard nowadays. So I believe you also need something that's going to give you cash flow while your property portfolio keeps growing. Now, I'm not allowed to give superannuation advice, neither are you, but a lot of clients, everyone's got a level of superannuation, not enough in most cases, but some people may live off their super for 5, 10, 20, 15 years, whatever, you eat it all away while their property portfolio doubles and the rents double, and then eventually you can live off your portfolio. So you have your home, you have a property portfolio, you have superannuation, and you need something to bring in a level of cash flow as well. And so the cash flow could be shares, managed funds, or sometimes cash flow type properties. And by that, I really believe it should be the right sort of commercial property, not regional properties that are a little bit po positive cash flow. 
But that's a strategy right at the end. One of the challenges, one of the things I'm seeing people do wrong at the moment because it's the flavour of the month is buy commercial properties too early in their investment journey, Jared. That makes a lot of sense. So that end game where we're all sort of working towards it, you know, is there other consider- any other considerations or? Be patient. Wealth is the transfer of money from the impatient to the patient. We've all seen those charts about how compounding interest works. We've all heard that Warren Buffett made most of his money over the age of 65. Own the best assets you can. Hold them for the long term. Have somebody review your portfolio to see, do you own the right assets? Because a lot of people, only you spend a lot of time, effort, money, emotion buying your properties, and sometimes they're the wrong properties. So uh, is this the sort of asset you want? And as you grow your portfolio, sometimes the assets that you bought to start with, maybe those apartments or those ones you first got years ago, are inappropriate for the next stage. So it depends what game you're playing and take advice from somebody who understands the game that you're playing uh, because a lot of them are not uh, at that level. Be careful who you take advice from. Yeah. I always think that people seem reluctant to set a plan because I think it needs to last forever. But I find that, you know, my goals have changed over time. The types of assets that I'm using to achieve my goals are changing and that I need to continuously update my plan and keep projecting it forward. So certainly don't use the fact that things are going to change as a a reason to have no plan at all. Correct. Also, a plan tells you what to do and what not to do when the media gives you all these challenging messages, the mixed messages or potential opportunities in your inbox. Is that part of the plan? If not, because I guess the question is, are you an investor or are you a speculator? And so people at the moment are speculating on the next hotspot or great areas when, in fact, if they're an investor and stuck to their plan, property investment's boring. You shouldn't be wanting to do stuff the whole time, even though we all love getting involved with property. So make your property investment boring so the rest of your life's exciting, Jared. Well, that's a good thing to end on and thank you for giving us your perspective on what's been the year and the year ahead and where we're heading to with that larger end game. I really appreciate your time, Michael. My pleasure, Jared. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburb of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorshedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. To be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions, and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group. Mm-hmm.